Good morning, sports fans. Hi, I'm Alex Reed, and I'm joined by James Price and Caleb Mutumwa. And today we have a very special guest on the podcast. It's Squidge Rugby. He's got 202,000 YouTube subscribers and, it is, and is an expert in rugby analysis with a depth uh, of knowledge on rugby that any of us would be happy to have. Um, just before we get into the meat of the podcast, um, can you talk me through the name Squidge Rugby? It's <laughs> a very good question. That's, a, that's probably the key question. Um, it was something that I was always called as a kid by my parents. They called me Squidge and it sort of stuck. Um, and then every now and again, someone would get wind of it and it would kind of stick again. Um, and I just, I really wanted to, when I was naming it, I didn't want to call it like, there's a lot of rugby blogs and rugby podcasts and so on out there um, called things like 22 dropout rugby or they just take a random bit of rugby terminology. <laughs> and I didn't want to do that. I want to do something different that was hopefully memorable. And I think it's proven to be the case. You know, people say like, oh, it's splodge rugby or squidgy rugby or whatever, but they're closer. <laughs> they're, they're not mixing them up with something else. Yeah, and, and, and another thing on that one, the little recording right at the start of all your videos, I've got to know, is that you? Yes, that is me. That is me. I did one take of that. Um, I was going to do a few and see which one sounded best. Then I did that and was like, no, that's it. That's got to be the intro. That's going to be the intro that's going to stay with me for five years at least. Um, so that's just continued ever since. So, um, Robbie, first question. Your overall impression of the World Cup so far as someone who analyzes the minutest and minute details. I just want to know what your impression is, really. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I've just really enjoyed it. I think as a as a moment for women's rugby in general that has been slowly growing over the last since the last World Cup really, which I think the latest stage of that World Cup got an awful lot of eyeballs and a lot of people tuned into it, uh, far more than ever before. And since then it's continued to grow and we've seen more and more people watch each Six Nations. And this feels like a bit of an explosion again. And even though um, even though the games are at like 3, 4 a.m., which has been a bit of a nightmare there for people in the UK anyway, um, I'm still seeing more people talking about women's rugby, more people engaging with it than ever before, which I think is really exciting. And that's been the kind of key takeaway for me is the way that the quality of the games have been fantastic. The standard of play has been really, really high. The intensity has been really high in the majority of games. Um, and just you've got people engaging, you've got different conversations happening rather than wouldn't it be great if we got behind women's rugby? Now people are doing it and we're having a far wider breadth of stuff covering it and talking about it. Uh, it's really, really exciting. Yeah, and you, you talk about the, the three apps. How has that been in terms of finding out statistics for, for the games? Because we've struggled to find like previous stats from before and with the women's game, how has that been easy on your side? Yeah, I mean, the World Cup website itself ha is really good. Um, it's got an awful lot of stats. They're updated throughout the game live. Uh, so that's really good for being able to keep track of things and keep on top of stuff as it's going and, you know, taking notes as you're, as you're tracking along. Um, but as you say, when you go back to past World Cups, it is a nightmare to find stuff. And it's I found myself going through searching manually for every game they've ever played to see if there's ever been a drop goal scored. I think there's only been one um, in the history of this competition since 1991. Um, and just there's a lot of things like that where you I, I find myself doing an awful lot of research that you could just Google for a men's World Cup. Because um, a lot of the stuff has been collated by fans, essentially. You know, look at like Ali Donnelly's work with Scrum, Scrum Queens is kind of the the resource you can go to um for most of the stuff and there isn't really stuff archived by world rugby or archived elsewhere so it has been a bit of a nightmare but i think it's really improved for this world cup on trying to find anything from before 
Yeah, just on those on those numbers and stats, Robbie. Um, one thing I've noticed that's quite different uh, when I've watched some some men's rugby is is the kicking or at least the conversion rate. So if if I can do maths, then New Zealand have only converted forty nine percent of their tries. England have only converted forty six. I was just wondering if you have some insight onto why that's the case. Yeah, um, I think historically a lot of it has been we're looking at amateur players, and if you look at if you go down and watch a local club because players aren't training full-time, they're not a combination of in the gym, and they don't have specialist kicking coaches, um, you've seen kicking percentages are far lower and the goal-kicking range is far smaller. Um, and so if you look at the teams like England France, where they have specialist kickers, that or they have rather, they've been professional for a few years, that is different. And you are seeing players like you know Emily Scarrett knocking over 80-odd percent, Jessie Tremoulier nailing every kick she had, the other week and then Caroline Drouin being up and down because she's French and you know that's what she does she's just incredibly incredibly up and down um but like the biggest change in Wales in the last year if, when you look at that team the way Eleanor Snow's kicking range was a was pretty much inside the 22 uh earlier this year and she couldn't she could barely get any distance on it and now that's changed and now she's you know clearing balls up to halfway and her kicking range and her accuracy goal kicking has improved enormously so I think we're going to start to see that improve as it goes on um I think some of it you can, you know, you can make arguments about different between male and female athletes, but I think a lot of it is just these players haven't had the chance to be professional, never mind in the way most male players have been essentially professional since about 14, 15 when they've been in environments and academies and so on. So it leads to very different uh, sets of circumstances that, you know, eventually show at this World Cups like this. As you mentioned Wales there. I've been our um, Wales correspondent throughout the tournament. You're obviously a Wales fan. Um, how did you rate their performance in this World Cup? Because obviously they had a great win against Scotland, but maybe some disappointing results elsewhere. Yeah, um, I think looking back on it now that they're out, it is probably representative of where this team's at. That they have come on enormously in the last few years. You know, you look at eighteen months ago, they lost to Scotland in the Six Nations, and they lost by forty-five points to Ireland, who haven't even qualified for the tournament. Um, and they were getting slammed across the board. They finished last two Six Nations in a row. And this team has come on enormously, and you can see that. And you can see the way they pushed Australia and should have beaten them. But there were still... You look at the errors in their game, and they're largely things like game management. They're largely things where they've never been in situations like that before. They've never been in a situation where they're trying to pull out tight wins like that, a lot of those players. Um, so they managed it against Scotland, and just as they did in the Six Nations where they pulled it back late on. Uh, but against Australia, they didn't quite know what they were doing in terms of chasing the game a bit and only being a few scores behind, but knowing they had it in them and they had strengths over them to chase that. Um, and a lot of that comes back to the fact that they've been professional for a year now and they have improved enormously since Cunningham came in just before the professional contracts were, were awarded. Um, but at the same time, there are still decades of neglect and at times active dismantling of this team the WOU has done and of women's rugby in general and at times you're seeing that you know like Eleanor Snowsill as I mentioned has developed a fantastic new kicking game but she doesn't always know when to use it there's times in the second half of that Australia game in particular where Wales really should have just kicked and played territory because they were really struggling to get out of their own half and they weren't doing that because Snowsill hadn't been in that situation before you know she'd kind of only played like two or three games since she you know since they brought in Stephen Myler since they had her as a full-time professional work on the kicking permanently um it's so you're starting to see bits like that and they will click. And I think there's a lot of really encouraging stuff and it's quite a young squad apart from maybe three or four players who are really knocking, you know, who have been around quite a long time. Um, 
I think it's a squad that's going to improve and going to build towards the next World Cup. And I'm really excited about them, even if, as I say, like there's a lot of frustrations in this campaign. So, Robbie, I just as well want to ask from your analysis. We've, we've talked about stuff on this podcast about how the women's game has had higher ball and play, um, less yellows and red cards than their other World Cups. From your analysis, what is it you think that makes women's game, or what do you think it has going for it that makes it so enjoyable to watch? Mm. I think it's a different product. I think it's the the analogy I kind of thought of the other day, uh, and this might be slightly niche, but it's it's like the difference between like Super Smash Bros. Melee on GameCube and Brawl on the Wii, in the way that like the 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 men's game in Brawl has more fighters and there's more you can do and there's more kind of team there, but the play is slower and it isn't necessarily, you know, in the way that Melee on GameCube was very quick and very um, far, you know, lively and it still has this quite active competitive scene that's very different um, even though there's fewer characters and fewer modes and stuff. Um, and I think that's kind of proven to be the difference. Like there's a, there's a, the two games feel different um, and like the balance between what's important in territory and possession um and as the, you know, the things you're mentioning about the ball in play being so much higher, um, and so much few, so many fewer like TMO stoppages and so on as well. Um, just in terms of the way the game's feeling referee quite differently. But as I said, like I think in terms of tactically, what matters feels um, quite different to in men's rugby, which I think leads to two very different versions of the same game, which I think is really exciting. Like I kind of love that. I kind of love that there's this very distinct atmosphere starting to build and very distinct kind of. Um, style and expectation building, and yet at the same time you have within that teams like Fiji, like you look at that Fiji South Africa game. Those are two teams completely diametrically opposed. They're completely different sides, um, and yet they kind of met and they kind of had those same um, differences that are you know separate them from if the Fiji and South Africa men's team, even if they were you know more level in terms of quality, um, met. It'd still be two very different games, uh, and I think that's a a really exciting thing. And there's still a lot of it. I'm trying to put my finger on quite what it is, but there's a lot of kind of like just little balancing bits are slightly different. Yeah, and, and on that as well, probably we, we had a bit of a chat yesterday about how because we've kind of got this point where you've got teams like Fiji who are brand new to World Cup, and you've got teams like England that are already well down the professional road. In many ways, we've got these games that are probably less competitive than they would have been, you know, in 1991. Um, and I and I guess do you think? As much as we can criticise and go, oh, we've got games that are uncompetitive. On the other hand, it shows that you know, in 2025, we're going to have those kind of games happening every week, but we've actually got really close competition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you say, we're heading towards a path in which by 2025, the vast majority, if not all the teams, will be at least semi-professional, you know? And it's kind of starting to happen now. Like It's only really um, South Africa, Australia and Fiji that are amateur um, and Australia have said they're going to be professional by the next World Cup as well. Um, so as you said, that, that, yes, there's a bit of a gap at the minute, but that gap's actually come down from the last few World Cups. Um, you can look at the exact statistics. I don't remember them off the top of my head. Um, but, I mean, in the last World Cup, we had teams like Hong Kong who were being, you know... Yeah, Portugal women got eight tries again. Wrong from my memory. <laughs> Kazakhstan as well. Kazakhstan are in the World Cup last time. Um, and they are... I mean, with the greatest respect in the world to those and the players that represented them, they're not exactly strongholds and they're not exactly nations that will have the resources going forward to improve from that in the way Fiji might be able to because they've got a lot of wardrobe investment and a lot of kind of over-attention coming in from what the men's teams have done in the past um, and the sevens teams in, you know, both sides, both genders. Um, 
So I think every team in this World Cup can build from here, which I think is really exciting. And as I say, things are starting to improve. It's starting to, to, to kick on. Um, and it's a tournament that is both more competitive and shows signs of where things can go once teams like Wales and Italy, that have only professionalised in Scotland, only professionalised in the last year, improve from there. Um, obviously, um, we've got the semi-finals coming up next. France versus New Zealand stands out as a, um, a game to watch. What do you rate France's chances of beating New Zealand? Because obviously New Zealand have scored points from everywhere throughout the tournament. Yeah, yeah. That's been the, the really exciting thing about it, is we have the best attack in the tournament going up against the best defence in the tournament. Because uh, France have kind of shut everyone down. Like England have been walking all over pretty much every team they've played for the last couple of years. Um, and yet, they only managed one try against France, uh, despite having a almost monopoly of ball, possession, territory, etc. Um, Fiji were nilled by them, and they caused England some real problems. They've kind of caused problems to everyone they've played since they you know, rejoined women's rugby last year, um, having, you know, not played in over a decade or so. Um, so it's been, it's, it's, it's the really exciting clash. It's the semi-final when you looked at that, that lineup, when you looked at the draw, when you tried to think about what this could be that you really, really wanted, because you kind of know England will get to a final. Um, you kind of know they'll get there and then it's a one-off game. Da, 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 da. But that's the game I think, speaking for most neutrals we wanted to see is the Black Ferns, who, as you say, are building and scoring so many points from so many chances from in so many ways, and yet it all is all very attacking and dynamic and fast rugby against a French team who are perhaps haven't clicked an attack yet. And I think Caroline Drouin, as I mentioned, has been all over the place, and that's been wonderful to watch. It's what you want from French Flower for the World Cup is to be imploding randomly and then also being sublime as she was at points in that quarterfinal against Italy. Um and there's a lot of chances for France to click where they're not quite there yet, but also their defence has been so solid that I'm just excited to see if they can hold that out against the Black Ferns in the way they did England. Um, I'm really, really excited about that game. Well, I suppose we're all here for the French slander. Um, I'm going to give you an impossible task. You are the Canada coach, and you have to come up with a plan to beat England. What the hell are you doing? Oh, okay. That's a very, very good question. Um... As I said, when I, I did a video on the Red Roast after Six Nations, and the only kind of weakness you could find is that their backline is almost entirely right-footed. Um, but it's very hard to, to find a game plan around that, to build a game plan around limiting how they can kick. Um, but it probably is that. It probably is looking to play... I mean, discipline becomes disproportionately important, um, as it always is, but even more so when they have the you know the distance on the kicks that the likes of Harrison and Scarrett get. Um, and Rollins and so on but um, it's a lot of it is doing what France did um, and being utterly tireless in defence and I think this Canada team looks so competent and so just very quietly going about their business and building and they look genuinely extremely good in a way I think has kind of flown under the radar a bit uh, and I think they have a lot of the qualities to cause England problems and it is just doing what France did and holding them out and managing to contain them uh, be it through playing a similar defence a similar kind of very physical but calculated defence that um, as you know I talked about it, I made a video on this but they kind of targeted every few phases as Jack or Fred stood off the rest of the time um, and doing something like that would probably be following along and probably looking to kick slightly more than France did just to try and pin them back a bit because um, 
you can only hold out that mall and you can only hold out those backs so many times. You know, there's only so much you can do uh, in the 22, especially when, as mentioned, the Canada team are mostly semi-professional. Um, they don't quite have as many of the advantages as France do. So it's really exciting. And I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's highly unlikely. Uh, but I wouldn't put that on my team talk. Okay, so it's um, an England definitely in final. Um, can I nail you down to predict in the other semi? It's really hard. It's really hard to say. It's one of those games where I feel like I'll know how it's going to go after about five or ten minutes and you kind of get a sense. Um, I want to say France, but mostly because I want to say it rather than because I necessarily think it. Um, but I I think France have got enough in them to do it. I, I will, yep, say France-England as a final. Okay, brilliant. Um, that will end our World Cup daily pod for today. Thank you very much, um, Robbie slash Squid Rugby, for coming on. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't be subscribed to me already if you are listening to this pod, but if you um, aren't, please go on to YouTube and subscribe to him. Um, and that will be all for today. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for having me.